This is the Blue Bomber Podcast with CFL Hall of Famer and my broadcast partner, Doug Brown. It's like a head-on car accident. Had to piggyback him, grab onto his waist as he pulled him, kind of like a tractor pull there for a couple yards. And you can play it safe. You don't have to take these risks and just nickel and dime your way down the field. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at CJOB.com. Hey, hey, it is the Blue Bomber Podcast. Craig Mackling, Doug Brown with you. We're going to take a look back at the Labor Day, and I'm putting it in quotation marks, classic between the Saskatchewan Rough Riders and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Look ahead to the Banjo Bowl. Was it the defense, the offense, or special teams to blame for this season's loss in Regina on Labor Day weekend? And is it time to make a switch at quarterback? All this and much more coming up on the Blue Bomber Podcast. Let's get right down to it. All right, Doug, who do we blame? I mean, I, I, I think that's that's where most fans want to know and want to go with this I think you just discussion. start blaming the fact that they're playing a team with a winning record, so therefore you blame the team with the winning record because this, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers have not been able to beat a team with a winning record this year. So, Saskatchewan, boom. three wins go. in a row. Winnipeg, three losses in a row. And now the Blue Bombers looking up at Saskatchewan in the standings. In fact, Saskatchewan in a tie with Edmonton, depending on what happens in the Labor Day Classic between the Stamps and the Eskimos. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers could be facing uh, a second-place team in the CFL West this uh, coming Saturday in the Banjo Bowl. How good are the Rough Riders? You know, it's interesting. You... We watched them in the first half, and we were like, oh, my God, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are so much better than this football team they're playing. Uh, They're obviously winning at the half. They looked outside of a a terrible initial series offensively. They look great. They look great. Uh, Defensively, they're playing well. Special teams, they're covering up well. And uh, the recipe for success that Saskatchewan had against the Calgary Stampeders was they didn't do much offensively, but their defense scored a touchdown and their off- and their special teams scored a touchdown. Sounds familiar. And, uh, then they were just Johnny on the spot for everything else. And that's exactly what we saw in this game. Uh, we saw their special teams chip in with a touchdown. We saw their defense intercept the football and take it all the way back to the one-yard line. That's essentially a touchdown as well. And then their offense <clears throat> got something going a little bit, I think, in the second half of this game. They weren't very effective at all in in the first half, but it was just, uh, wow, a a tale of two halves. Watching, I was completely flabbergasted that they lost this game. They looked like they were outclassing the Saskatchewan Rough Riders in every single phase of this football game in the first half, and then they just didn't get better at anything. It's almost like they gear up... It's like someone that is in a running race, a 400-yard sprint, and they sprint the first part of it, and then they run out of gas, and they hit the wall. You know what I'm saying? Yep. There's no pace, right? They, they seemingly have these great game plans, and they come out like gangbusters, and they're ahead, and they're winning, and they look great, but they sprinted. And then they hit the wall, and then everybody passes them, right? And that's what happened this game. They got passed in the second half by Saskatchewan Rough Riders. They lost a football game. Now, speaking of coming out, you made note of this at halftime, that the Blue Bombers came out of the dressing room considerably earlier than the Saskatchewan Rough Riders did. Did that concern you? Did that raise any alarms for you? Because I think part of the problems, and I know we always speak about three aspects of the game, but one of our callers in to the radio station this morning, I thought, brought up a great point. And that's that fourth aspect. And that's coaching. Is Mike O'Shea being outcoached in second halves? Well, 
Um, it's funny that you bring that up because I, I just did some research on this football team in the first half. And if football games in the CFL, if regular season football games in the CFL lasted two quarters, this team would be nine and two right now. Okay. <laughs> They've played four teams with winning records right now. Uh, three of those four teams, they were winning at halftime only one of them ottawa was ahead at half and just ended up beating them as we know they've lost to all these teams with winning records three out of four of those games though against those teams they were winning at halftime so uh the one observation we would say since we saw them come out early is actually let's reverse that spend more time in there come out late because it's not just enough to have good first halves otherwise this team would be nine and two and it really it's starting to sound off alarm bells that hey what are these other teams doing at halftime that the winnipeg blue bombers aren't because they're changing gears they're shifting in they're dropping down a gear they're getting their red lines up um they're getting more power out of their second half and we just don't have it anymore we've i don't know more oranges at halftime more i don't know what the secret ingredient is but to those of you that are listening i think that adjustments don't happen at halftime um i can assure you you know you start with when you get in at halftime you start with meeting with your position coach and he sits down either gives you a little pat on the back or he screams at you he goes over what you're doing well what you're not doing well what you need to work on and then you get together as groups so offense then gets together defense gets together special teams to an extent those players are often stolen from the first two groups but then you sit down collectively and your coordinator will come in the room and say hey this is what they got us on this is what you know and a lot of times if if I had a dollar for every time I heard a defensive coordinator say to our group, I know you guys hadn't seen this before, but there was no reason to just, you know, give it up like this. And he'll go over, hey, they're doing something different. That's what teams do when they come to play you. They want to show you something you haven't seen before. And so he would draw up on the little whiteboard. This is how we're going to adjust to that. This is how you're going to cover that. This is how we're going to attack that. This is how we're going to defend against that. They show you because the first half sometimes guys are chasing their tails because they're like oh we have not seen this before my lanta what are we going to do what are we going to do we never saw it our coach never had us review this a thousand times in film what can we do halftime they sit you down they calm you down they relax it's a little wrinkle that's what teams do they throw wrinkles at you these are your adjustments this is how we're going to accommodate this this is how we're going to defend this this is regardless whether it's offense or defense the adjustments happen at halftime. And it's almost like, I mean, obviously we're not in there, but the Winnipeg Blue Bombers are, we're winning at halftime. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. Have another orange and a banana. Let's go out there and uh, keep doing what we're doing. And unfortunately, that's that's not working right now because, I mean, maybe, who knows? Maybe they'd be better off if they're losing at halftime because then they'd be forced to say, hey, we got to change things up. We got to do things differently. They're obviously not front runners uh, when it comes to the 2018 football season right now. Otherwise, they'd be nine and two because if if games, like I said, were two quarters long, they'd be nine and two right now and not five and six. We had our opportunities and uh, you know we just couldn't take advantage. And, and um, I, don't know, I mean, I, I, I feel like I've, I've taken pride in the last few years of you know leading us down for 
game-winning field goals and touchdowns, and uh, we had a couple opportunities there, and you know, just felt like we couldn't get that initial first down to get going. So, um, you know, I'm extremely disappointed in myself that we couldn't capitalize on that when we had that opportunity, and I mean, it's just, you know, it's a disappointing one. You know, you guys really controlled things on both offense and defense in the first half. You must have come out feeling very confident about the rest of the game. Yeah, for sure we did, and uh, I mean, it felt like we. It felt like we were doing some good stuff all game long, and uh, huh. I don't know. I mean, they just they just made a couple more plays than us, I guess. And uh, um, I don't know. We got to be better. I got to be better. Someone who is a front runner is their leading running back, Andrew Harris. 963 yards to this point in time in the season. Had every reason uh, to believe that maybe he could have hit 1,000 yards based on how he played on Sunday in Regina. Things were running on all cylinders with regard to the running game, Doug. And the terminology that I think you've in- introduced uh, many of us to on the podcast this year year is this idea of complementary football and the blue bombers if we want to break it down just on offense the running game tends to set up that passing game yet it failed to do so or did it do so and matt nichols was unable either to capitalize on what it created or were defenses really managing and are they managing to figure out what Matt Nichols and Paul Lapolis want to do on offense? You know, it's a real interesting scenario because prior to the game, you heard that Chris Jones had come out and said, it's no secret what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and do what everyone else has been doing, take Andrew Harris out of the equation, out of the game, and and make Matt Nichols beat us over the top with his arm. Well, they didn't do that, right? They play a three-man front. And uh, you can play a 3-4 in, in defense and stop the run, but you better have some linebackers that can take on offensive linemen because when you play a three-man front, your two guards, for the most part, are uncovered, and they go unblocked, for the most part, up to the second level. Uh, you watch one of the big uh, runs Andrew Harris had in this game. His guard got up on the linebacker, walled him. That B-gap was enormous, sprinted right through that, exploded, right? So a 3-4, especially in the CFL because your linebackers are undersized. 3-4 is not good in this league. can be good in the NFL because your linebackers are all defensive end size. But in the CFL where your linebackers are cover guys and you take out a defensive lineman, you put another one in to try and stop the run, nah, nah. That's not going to happen. That doesn't work well, right? So it almost, you know, it reminded me of a Toronto defense I once saw that really didn't care about stopping the run so much. All they wanted to do is drop nine in coverage and just have a three-man front. Uh, by the way, that's another problem. The fact that the Saskatchewan Rough Riders got three sacks. Rushing three men? Rushing three men. And I think they had two or three. Like, it was crazy how many in a row they got when they were doing this. And that's... You're rushing three guys. That's two double teams and, and one one-on-one, right? The problem, obviously, is... The guards are uncovered again. If the guards fan out to help the tackles, then that gives your guy one-on-one up the pipe, you know, the biggest A-gaps to work either side. If he makes one proper move, he's free. Yeah, exactly. It gives gives a guy up the middle a lot of space. But anyways, that was another problem. 
but you have to wonder. I'm starting to contemplate whether Chris Jones really cared about stopping the run at all. I think he, I think he may have bait and switched the Blue Bombers uh, you know, on that. And it's hard to know because Andrew also got dinged up. He was hurt in the second half. He came out. Keenan LaFrance came in for a spell, and Andrew returned, and he had some. Uh, a productivity, but he wasn't the same guy that he was in the first half. Like he really got sandwiched, pinballed in there. You could tell he was hurt when he came off the field. We talked to him after the game. He was banged up. Fifteen carries, 158 yards, an outstanding game for Andrew. But uh, I'm sure Andrew that doesn't taste as good as it would if the score was different. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it's uh, it's one of those one of those games where you know you feel like you know everything's going well. I mean, the run game was going well. We were, you know, able to do almost in the past game. And I feel like, you know, the first half, other than those big, those two big plays, I mean, uh, we're up probably 20, 17, nothing. Or, so, I mean, it's, uh, I can't put my finger on right now without watching tape, but this, this one definitely stung. So it's hard to know. But when you have big gashing runs like that, it throws everything out of whack. You're like, oh my God, he's rushing for 10 yards a carry. Well, he wasn't, right? He got a couple big, big runs that threw those uh, averages out of whack. And so you have to wonder, you're like, I think Chris Jones was fine with Andrew getting what he was going to get on the ground and just tightening up in the red zone and and just making sure they weren't going to be beaten over the top through the air. Because for the most part, you saw in the second half, I I think maybe the first series, they put out a a four-man front and went after trying to shut down the run a little more than they did. They didn't care. They were saying, hey, you outrushed your passing attack. You gained more yards on the ground than you did over the top. And uh, I guess they knew... When you can't rush the ball consistently, like he got a, a couple 20, 30, 40 yard runs or whatever, but then, you know, there were some for no gain, so on and so forth. And uh, they were like, hey, we're just happy taking away your passing game. Do what you're going to do on the ground because it's going to be erratic, it's going to be inconsistent. And that's how they won the football game. So I really haven't wrapped my head around whether he. Just went out and said that and said, hey, yeah, we're going to try and take Andrew away when realistically what they were doing defensively didn't appear like they actually cared that much about what he was doing on the ground because you don't stay in a three-man front if you're worried about stopping the run. So, you know, this might have just been a little mind game by Chris Jones saying, yeah, whatever, do what you're going to do on the run. You'll get a few big runs on us, but you're not going to do that all day. And we're just going to blanket. We're going to drop nine guys into, into coverage. And uh, you're always going to have that multidimensional offense where you got your back in there and it's going to limit how many receivers you're going to put out there. And we got tons of guys and no room for you to do anything over the top. And what did they pass for? What did Winnipeg pass for? 166 yards. 166 yards. There you go. Barely 50%, 53% completion percentage for Matt Nichols. So is this a product, another game where Matt Nichols struggles, Doug? Is this a product of what the Saskatchewan Rough Riders were able to do on defense in terms of keeping everything in front of them, which I think is essentially what you've described here, is that Chris Jones was prepared to, to give you this, give you that. As long as you don't get beat me over the top, I'm fine with what you're doing 
And when push came to shove, the Blue Bombers didn't really get inside the the, the red zone uh, more than once because they had one longer touchdown, and then uh, Chris Trevler came in and and threw that ten uh, yard touchdown to Darvin Adams. So. Mentioning Strevler and Nichols in the same sentence now, I guess I got to ask it. At what point, if you're Mike O'Shea, do you have to genuinely consider putting in your rookie quarterback uh, either to give your team a little bit of a jolt, to give the fans something to stop bitching about, or to simply give your team a better better opportunity to move the ball? Well, I think if you're Mike O'Shea, you just don't do this you that's just his mo he doesn't consider it he is blindly loyal to his number one anointed quarterback franchise leader the guy with the the the, the decimals and the commas in, in the paycheck and uh and the performance the last couple of years he is he does not have an itchy trigger figure um, Should he have an itchy trigger finger? He no. <laughs> Let's put it. Sorry, Strevler is building the case for himself, right? Um, granted, we're only seeing snippets, but every snippet he does, you know, you just put all those snippets together, you got yourself a nice little highlight reel. For, all he for does Strevler. is ju- all he does is do his job, right, yeah, Doug? Yeah, he does it very well, and you have to wonder if you had a quarterback in there that could just extend if you're having a trouble if your receivers are having trouble getting open if there's so many guys if there's nine guys in coverage and there's not a lot of opportunity there what do you need to do you need to make them cover longer right, right. so you need to extend plays right and uh you know he's a guy that's more adept and better suited to that i actually think you know outside of the first series and the last series, uh, Nichols had a better game for the most part. His numbers don't reflect it, but he he was uh, he managed the game better. He did much better than he did had done the previous two I games. Agree. So, uh, but like you say, it's uh, it's a good defense. Uh, I don't think anyone really clearly has an idea of what Chris Jones, what his strategy was going into this game in terms of what he was fine with, what he was going to allow, and what he was trying to do, because I, I think he accomplished what he was trying to do. I think he rope-a-doped everybody by saying, oh yeah, we we really want to take away Andrew Harris, just like everybody else. Yeah, it didn't really... It didn't really. His actions on the field spoke a lot louder than than what he said there, but you're right, it's, it's frustrating uh, for fans, but I, I don't think, you know, we can debate till we're blue in the face about whether Strebler should get some more time and some more reps on the football field. But to me, it's a moot point because guess what? He's not going to. Unless something, unless Matt Nichols gets hurt, unless Matt Nichols has a terrible showing at the Banjo Bowl, I just can't see Mike O'Shea coming off his stance that Nick, I mean, we've had these conversations with him about Drew Willie. Yep. Right? For time on, we're like, man, it's not working for the guy. He's not seeing things this game. Shake it up, put somebody else in, you know, and it's just not happening. And uh, Bob will tell you, teams don't do that largely for the most part. And uh, Michael Shea, certainly. So, you know, whether he deserves a shot, uh, whether, you know, the, the team needs, you can debate it all you want. I don't think it's going to happen. Uh, I think Chris Trevler has merited getting more snaps, uh, getting more involvement. I wouldn't mind seeing him in games where Nichols is not feeling it and, and making mistakes, so on and so forth. He's a different 
kind of uh, guy to defend against. Well, it's an extra dimension, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and which is it's something... It's a change-up pitcher. That's all right, it is. It, right. Bringing a guy, you know, you got a righty out there bringing your lefty when you're losing the game, okay? All of a sudden, you got a guy throwing, whoa, your batters are like, what's going on here? Now we got a, a lefty that throws knuckle balls as opposed to heat all the time. It's just a change-up is all it is. But like you say, I, I feel like we're even wasting our time right now on this podcast talking about we, we, whether we, he should or should not because it's not gonna happen okay so then let me ask it this way can the seeds of discontent can the seeds of discontent be being sown in the winnipeg blue bomber locker room we speak to so many of these players uh half the guys on the roster at the uh what uh, they like to consider the skill positions because you know sitting here with the greatest uh, defensive lineman in blue bomber history I, I i won't go on to say that that he's not played a, a skill position all these guys played quarterback at one time or another they're all going to have an opinion on the play of the quarterback and they might not be super vocal about it but they might be talking amongst each other and wondering what's going on and why a change isn't being made so i'll ask it to you this way is there a chance that the dressing room is going to be rumbling mumbling murmuring and not necessarily demanding a change or struggling to get an opportunity, but could it be playing games in terms of the confidence the players have in the coach? You know, to answer that question, you talk about noise. And going into this last game, the team was resolute and made a statement about how you know, we're blocking out all the noise, we're keeping it all internal in the locker room, and we're not listening, and no social media, and we're going off social media, and we're keeping it all in-house kind of thing. Well, you keep losing, the noises get louder, right? And uh, this locker room, I don't think, has really had a test along these lines. I mean, other than going one and four, where they made a quarterback switch with Drew Willie and Matt Nichols got his opportunity and ripped off seven in a row. They haven't that was lost the last time. They haven't lost three in a row yeah. since then. And I'll tell you, it's easy to tell the world that you have rainbows and unicorns in your locker room when you're winning all the time and you're 11 and 7 and you're 12 and 6 and you're going to playoff games and you're hosting playoff games you better have a harmonious locker room you should you're winning games and you're, you're winning more than you're losing and you're accomplishing things and guys are all stars and so on and so forth you're 5 and 6 right now and the noise is getting louder it's not getting quieter and that's you know you try to keep everything in the locker room it's not a soundproof room you know noise gets in there and the more you lose the more noise gets in the louder it gets outside and uh it gets harder and harder and then cracks start to surface and and that's when problems can start so it could be uh like you say another opportunity the banjo bowl if they win the Banjo Bowl, you know, now they're back to a 500 football team and they still have nothing but opportunity in front of them. But if they lose that game and uh, if they lose that game, then they therefore lose also the season series to Saskatchewan. Then the pressure is really on and that locker room will undergo some tensions and some pressure from outside that they haven't experienced in a long time. When you go to CFL.ca and look up the standings, you click on standings. And there's regular season, and then there's this little part of the of the page that Blue Bomber fans have not been accustomed to paying attention to. Right beside regular season, if you click on it, it says crossover. 
And that's a terminology that I think Blue Bomber fans, unfortunately, may have to get familiar with because now hosting the Western Final, probably completely out of the equation, the Western Semi-Final, uh, not out of the question, not out of the realm of possibility for the Blue Bombers because Edmonton has Calgary back-to-back. Saskatchewan has to play Edmonton. The Bombers do have Saskatchewan twice more. So for the Bombers, if they turn it around, they can get back into the discussion for hosting the Western Semi final but I think a lot of people now may have to acquaint themselves a little more closely with the Eastern Division standings. Well, I'll tell you this. If you lose on Saturday, right? start paying a heck of a lot more attention to what's going on in the Eastern Division because the Western Division kind of becomes a pipe dream if you lose the Banjo Bowl at home. But, you know, the way this football team played in the first half, they just looked to be a better team. I don't know what happened in the second half, but hopefully, who knows, maybe they can just switch their... The one thing about this football team the past couple of years, I think, that you could hang your hat on was that in critical moments, yeah, the defense gave up more yardage. It was crazy, right, than a, than a, a driving range, right? They gave up crazy amounts of yardage. But they also made plays that... Timely plays. Timely plays. Right? You'd be like, you know, oh my God, they gave up 400 yards passing, but then in the fourth quarter, they'd get two picks. And then the offense would come on the field and score touchdowns off On of a that. short field. They would play complimentary football. They both, uh, both the offense and the defense were capable and able of making timely plays when the game was on the line. And what did we see yesterday? It's opportunity. You're down now. You got the football. First play, it's a pick. It's an interception. It's just, and the defense, defense actually did, you look at the statistics, you know, a lot of times performances get clouded by the negativity of a loss. The defense wasn't that bad. No, 250 yards passing, uh, 90 yards on the ground, four yard average rush per carry. That's not bad. You know, they got an interception. They didn't play that poorly but they got painted with the same brush of a loss that the offense did the difference between the defense of the last two years and the defense of this year statistically they're better they're still they have forced 28 turnovers they're tied for uh, the league league and interceptions they're second or third in sacks uh, their yardage averages are way down in terms of what they're allowing but their offense is giving up the ball but and giving not, it away. Yeah, but neither the offense or defense is particularly playing well when the game is on the line Correct. and it matters in the fourth. And that is all the difference, I think, in the world for this football team that sits at five and six right now. And if they can't figure that out, soon to be five and seven. And if you can't figure it out, that's when I talk about a shakeup. And I always bring the hockey analogies in. We saw the Winnipeg Jets bring in Steve Mason as their starting quote unquote goaltender for $4 million last year. Two games into the season, he's not playing well. The Jets, who are famous for not making massive shakeups and changes, throw Connor Hellebuck into the net. Well, we know what he did. He was a finalist for the Vezina Trophy. I guess I just don't understand understand the difference between a goaltender in hockey and a quarterback in football. To me, they are the most important player on their respective teams. And if your quarterback's not doing a job and your team has all these mysteries, all these question marks about, we don't understand why this is happening. Well, then I don't think you have anything to lose in terms of giving your quarterback who's shown flashes of brilliance. Yes, he's still young. He's got lots to learn. 
my opinion only, Doug, is that the Blue Bombers have to just look themselves in the mirror and realize they need a, a little bit of a shake-up. They're not going to be trading guys. They're not going to be firing anybody. Look internally. You may have the answer here, but that's that's my soapbox. Anything you wanted to talk about that we didn't get to? No, no. I think we covered it all. And like you said, Bob and I discussed on the on the game broadcast. We're like, listen, it's hard to win Labor Day Classics. It's not the end of the world if you lose. Granted, you're under 500 for the first time in a very long time for this mm-hmm. football team. But all it does, it just ramps up, ratchets up the pressure for the Banjo Bowl game on Saturday. You'll never get him to say it, that it's must win, that this is a season-defining game. I'll say it. But <laughs> it's about as important as it gets. Can't go to 5-7 and seven and lose the season series with the Saskatchewan Rough Riders at home in front of a sellout crowd in Winnipeg and survive intact with the psyche of your football team, let alone your quarterback. That's all going to be left on the field. You lose that game. So it just gets more dire. It gets more urgent. It gets more desperate. Saturday, big, big football game. Excited to go see if we get a response and a victory against these Rough Riders. Fortunately, Labor Day wasn't genuine Labor Day for Doug and his partner. But uh, Doug, uh, we've got uh, the baby watch on for you. And uh, all the love and affection that goes along with that, brother. Okay, we'll We'll, see you on Saturday. We'll do a a feed through our baby cam on uh, on (laughs) Global News or something. We can... I'm just kidding. Sounds good, Doug. All the women in my life are late for the most part, so it's no surprise. (laughs) He's never late for this. It's the Blue Bomber Podcast. Thanks for subscribing, sharing, downloading, and please rate the Blue Bomber Podcast as we love to hear from you. The Blue Bomber Podcast with Doug Brown. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. 